This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Schwenk Studios is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Well, later on today, we're going to be speaking with future Hall of Famer Bruce Bochy, the manager of the Texas Rangers, the first place Rangers, who faced the Diamondbacks yesterday. They trailed 4-3, to three, bottom of the sixth inning, when this happened. 1-1 one, one count to Duran, who's already got a couple of hits. He swings and hammers this one to left center field. That one is back. Look it up, Thomas. Out of here! Into the Diamondbacks' bullpen. Ezekiel Duran, a two-run home run. And the Rangers lead 5-4. to four. On their way to a 6-4 to four victory. That's a sound from 105.3, the fan. Yeah, there's some uh, distinct personality that the Rangers have taken on. We've talked a little bit about it on the podcast here in recent weeks. We're going to be asking Bruce Bochy about that. The Orioles and the Royals. The Orioles are playing so well. And Ryan Mountcastle had himself a day. Ryan Mountcastle torpedoes one to left field. And the Orioles are right back in this. Span of two pitches, two loud and lethal swings from Rutschman and Mountcastle. Home run number seven for Mountie, a long awaited trip around the bases, makes it 3 2. Oh boy, make it four in a row. Left center field, headed for the fountains. Ryan Mountcastle, home runs in back to back innings, and he is back in a big way. And the Orioles won that game 11-7. to They're rolling in a really competitive American League East. We spoke last week with Jeff Passan about all the injuries to pitchers. And, wow, the hits just keep on coming. Astros starter Luis Garcia was placed in the 15-day injured list Tuesday, the second Houston starting pitcher to be put on the list this week. Of course, Jose Arquiti was placed on the injured list after he came out of Sunday's start. With his shoulder issue, Garcia left Monday's game after just eight pitches because of right elbow discomfort. Bad news about Rockies right-hander Herman Marquez. He's going to have Tommy John surgery. This is nearing the end of a contract uh, for which he has a 2024 club option. That's not going to help his chance of getting that. For the Yankees, more bad news. Pitcher uh, Lou Trevino is going to get Tommy John surgery. And Carlos Rodon, who had an elbow issue in spring training, he's been slowed by a back issue. Aaron Boone telling reporters yesterday that they're going to be looking more into that. We finally had some good pitching news. You get the Cardinals' Adam Wainwright set to make his debut on Saturday. And, wow, the Cardinals need it. They lost again yesterday. We're going to be speaking with Xavier Scruggs about everything Cardinals when he joined us in just a little bit. The Red Sox, the Blue Jays. This is a big series for the Red Sox, playing in Fenway Park against Toronto, a team which has given them all kinds of fits the last couple of years. Connor Wong is emerging for the Red Sox this year. It was 6-all, bottom of the eighth inning, he came to the plate. And he swings and hits one high, left field, deep, Marshall back by the wall, looking up, and it's gone! Connor Wong does it again, and the Red Sox lead it 7-6, can you believe it? Two home runs, a double and a single for Connor Wong, a high towering drive as the lights flash here at Fenway. Yeah, from WEI 93.7 FM, uh, Masataki Yoshida also had a great game. 
He's been ridiculously hot. We mentioned the Yankees. They face the Guardians at Yankee Stadium. Sarah Langs was in attendance. We're going to be hearing from her in a moment about that experience. Uh, they're looking for offense from anybody. And yesterday, Anthony Rizzo helped them out. Line drive, it's a base hit to left field. Torres rounds third. He's going to score. And the Yankees have tied the game on the RBI single by Rizzo. It was 2-2, bottom of the seventh inning. This is what happened. That was straight to right field. Did he get enough? He got enough. See ya. A home run for Calhoun. And the Yankees lead 3-2. That, of course, was the voice of Michael Kay on the Yes Network. The final score was 4-2. The Rays, the Pirates, the Rays have had great pitching. They lead the majors in home runs. And on Tuesday night, they did this. There goes the runner off first, the pitch. Siri waited just long enough and took off and hits to the plate. The range lead three to one. So they use a double steal on their way to a four to one victory. Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer are lined up to return for the Mets uh, playing against the Detroit Tigers. This is Justin Verlander talking about uh, how he's feeling going into his 2023 season debut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 10 out of 10, you know. Uh, it's, it's nice to, to finally, you know, start to get that little energy, you know, a little nervousness starts to kick in. You know, you know your start day's getting close. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. The Braves, the Marlins, and Ozzy Albies is off to a great start this year. This is what he did in the top of the second inning on Tuesday. And this one off the bat of Ozzy Albies. And gone. Well, sometimes the faster they come in, the harder they go out. And the Braves have grabbed a one to nothing lead. Eighth of the season for Ozzy. Eight homers for Ozzy Albee so far this year. The Braves win this game 6-0. Bryce Elder was outstanding for Atlanta in this game. Bryce Harper was back in the Phillies lineup on Tuesday night, 160 days after having Tommy John surgery. But the Phillies got blown out by the Dodgers 13-1. to now 3-2. Betts shoots from the second pass stop. And the Dodgers come through here after teeing it up second and third. Nobody out. They get Mookie Betts, a two-out, two-strike base hit. The A's, the Mariners, had a great game. It was one all when Jared Kelnick broke a tie. And the right-handers, 1-0 pitch on the way to Kelnick. Swing and a fly ball down the right field line and deep into the corner. Stay fair. It's a fair ball. Short hop off the wall. Score. Ty France to third. Kelnick in at second. The throw in is cut off by the second baseman. Jared Kelnick with a two out RBI double into the right field corner gives the Mariners a two to one lead over the A's here in the top of the eighth inning. Taylor, what else you got? Everyone, I want to promote Buster's Instagram over here at Buster Only. Uh, we're putting clips from the show on there. So if you're listening to that, you know, probably some stuff you heard, but you can see Bruce Bochy's beautiful face on Instagram. You know, that's a place you can go to, to catch that or uh, Xavier Scruggs. He's a handsome guy too. check out Buster's Instagram. They're all hanging out over there. Um, we've been Sarah Abbott has been pushing out content over there. It's been a it's been a good time. His follower account is growing. Are you liking the interactions over there? Buster. Oh yeah, I absolutely love it. Like any, any way that you know you get uh, 
uh, his share in baseball conversation, I think is fun. Like I, I, you know, I know you are aware of this, like go on Twitter and people, you know, will throw questions at me to my challenge, what I've written or they go back and I'm just, I just like sports conversation. I think of it as like being in a bar, hanging out, uh, and just, you know, someone says something, Hey, you know, this team is good. This team is bad. And, and then you just have a back and forth about it. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot more of a, uh, a positive environment over there. So check out Buster on Instagram at Buster only. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how was your birthday on Tuesday? The baseball gods arranging for you and Mandy Bell to be in the, your good friend Mandy Bell to be in the, the same ballpark, Yankee Stadium, the Guardians, who Mandy covers for MLB.com, uh, against the Yankees. To, how was that? It was amazing. I mean, as I mentioned, and as you know, with someone having a friend who's a beat writer, means that's a friend you basically don't see during the season because they're always wherever the team is. And I always look out for when she's going to be in New York. Sometimes she's not on the trip. And figuring out that she was going to be here on my birthday was amazing. And it was just incredible. I mean, you know, just sitting there doing our normal work, but getting to be next to each other. I arrived to the press box and there were four cookies, six cupcakes, and a present next to where she was sitting. And I was the stressed out person texting her like, where are you sitting? How am I going to know where to sit? Because I've been in press boxes plenty but not in a while and just making sure I'm in the right spot. And I'm sitting with the visiting reporters, just all of this unwritten rule stuff. And she's like, Oh, my computer has this sticker. Meanwhile, it's going to be very easy to find little did I know. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, uh, back in the day in old Yankee stadium, when I was covering those teams in nineties, the, the press, that press box was not easy to cover in Yankee stadium. Press box is excellent. Like there's, space and you got to, you know, you can spread out. You got a good view of the field. I, it's actually a great place to work. Uh, I got to tell you, I felt so stupid yesterday after we got done taping with you because uh, it was your birthday and and that's what we focused on talk about. But what we didn't talk about was something that you sent me a note about <laughs> last week and you were the last person to promote anything. Uh, and then later after I talked to you, I saw your tweet about fist bumps, and I'm like, oh, my God, I completely forgot to ask her about that. Can you please now, a day late, 
Tell us what that's about. Absolutely. So as is very well established at this point, I'm a huge fan of birthdays, especially mine, but all birthdays. And as my birthday was approaching, I realized that I wanted to use my birthday this year to do something to raise awareness and money for research for ALS. And it's not just my birthday, but it's ALS Awareness Month. And in the wildest of coincidences, my birthday, May 2nd, is the date that Louis Gehrig's streak ended. So there's just so much that seemed to be shouting at me, hey, let's use this day and this month for good. So I spent, I mean, probably months thinking about what should I do? I want people to do something on social media. And I ended up coming up with the idea of this month's for ALS. So the idea is post a video or a photo of yourself fist bumping someone, you know, or a pet, for instance, uh, which I was very excited to see a few already with some dogs. I love dogs. Hunter, are welcome as well. Inanimate objects, statues, whatever you may think of. But the idea is some sort of fist bump. And if you're willing and able and would like to donate to Project ALS, which is doing a ton of important research on ALS, uh, there's a link to do so. You can find it on my Twitter. And either way, just sharing that hashtag and reminding people that this is something a lot more common than you think that a lot of people are dealing with. So I just thought it was a kind of fun, lighthearted thing we could share on uh, social media. And, you know, sometimes these challenges need you to do so much. I didn't want it to be difficult. I thought fist bumps are pretty easy. And everyone does them, especially in baseball. So this bumps for ALS is what I'm, uh, I guess, promoting. I'm not good at the word promoting and certainly not with myself, but I am promoting for ALS and helping to find a cure. All right. Uh, yeah, I will send you the video. Quinny, as you know, my dog, I will send you a fist bump with her. Uh, I send you videos of her all the time. She's swimming in, in uh, now as it warms up here out here in Montana. And she's, she, uh, boy, she's got a lot of energy. But yeah, donation was made. And I uh, nominated uh, Jessica Mendoza, Tim Kirchin, and then two others that I knew you knew, which would be Justin Turner and Julia Rodriguez. Uh, so, you know what? Uh, it's a cool idea. It's a cool initiative. And uh, uh, thank you for doing that. All right. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is five and a third. So yesterday I was kind of hoping we might get a birthday no hitter for me. That Bryce Miller, Mason Miller matchup between the Mariners and A's looked like either guy could do it for a while. It was Mason Miller of the A's who ended up with the longer no-head bid. But Bryce Miller from the Mariners was making his MLB debut. And he was perfect through five and a third innings. That is tied for the second longest perfect bid by any pitcher in his MLB debut in the expansion era, which goes back to 1961. The only one longer was Nick Kingham on April 29th, 2018, six and two thirds innings. Perfect for the Pirates. And I remember this game so well because it was a Sunday of baseball day. We were on the road 
for baseball tonight on the road. We were in uh, Anaheim for a Angels-Yankees game. And I remember being in our little makeshift green room researching this note at the time for Kingham, uh, getting ready to run it on baseball night or potentially cover a perfect game. Number two. Number two is three. So on the other side of pitching, the Phillies have now pitched Cody Clemens, who is, unlike his father, not a pitcher by trade, in back-to-back team games. He is the third position player to pitch in consecutive team games in at least the expansion era, which goes back to 1961, as I just said, joining Luis Gonzalez, who did this last year, and Hanser Alberto did it twice last year. We tend to go expansion era for position players pitching because positions prior to that are a little fuzzier. But I did love looking up that Roger Clemens, of course, because he was a starting pitcher, never pitched on back-to-back days. And now his son has not ideal for the Phillies, but does make for a fun note. Number one. Number one is 20. So it's amazing. The Rays continue to be really good. And I continue to have really fun Rays streak notes to bring. So the Rays are now 20 and 0 this season when they score first. They score first, the game is over. That wow. is tied with the 1990 Reds for the longest winning streak when scoring first by any team to start a season since 1900. And by the way, those Reds held first place wire to wire and won the World Series. So, I mean, it's incredible that even with that season opening streak over, there is so much they're still doing really, really well. All right. Uh, Xavier Scruggs is coming up and I'm going to, you know, mention to him that the Yankees, if they're playing the American League Central, you'd be like, okay, it's still a little bit early, but they're not. They're chasing the Rays and they're chasing the Orioles and they're chasing the Jays and they're chasing the Red Sox. You got to see the Yankees in person yesterday. You got to witness that lineup, which is thin. You were there at Yankee Stadium when they had the news yesterday. Carlos Rodon, he's out indefinitely because they don't know exactly what's going on with him. I think they're in trouble, Sarah, maybe for the first time since that year in which they, uh, you know, traded Andrew Miller and traded a role as Chapman. What do you think? It does feel like they are. And part of it, as you said, is sort of circumstance. It isn't even the team in the roster they have, but it's that division they're in. And as we talked about yesterday, I mean, everyone's above 500 right now in that division. And with the new balance schedule and playing each other less, these teams will have fewer chances to cut each other down and end up sort of lowering each other's record. So, I mean, the AL East is playing in a 679 clip outside their division right now. That would be the highest we've ever seen. Of course, they'll play more games outside the division than any division ever has. But I do think that this is a tough situation for them. I mean, the lineup definitely gets very thin towards the bottom. And yep. you wonder what kind of move they might make at the deadline. I mean, I do think that because everyone is above 500, and again, it's early, it's only May 3rd, but there will be a lot of motivation to go out and make a move because 
even though the Rays are so far ahead right now, all of those teams are feasibly in that. Yeah, so I've got some distinct thoughts about what the Yankees could look for at the trade market coming up here when I talk with Xavier. Uh, and in a moment, we're going to be talking with your friend, Bruce Bochy. Uh, if I'm going to ask you about the first place Rangers, 18-11 so far, and I ask you for one word, one word, that's all you can give me, why they're winning. It can't be Bochy. It can't be the manager change. Okay? Give me one word for why you think the Rangers are so much better than they have been in the past. I mean, right now I go with resilience. I just go with the fact that Corey Seager gets hurt. And we think, okay, they're off to a great little start, but Corey Seager gets hurt, and now they're going to fall out of it. And that hasn't even bothered them. They are still scoring plenty of runs. Adolis Garcia hitting all of his home runs, getting a chance to four-homer game of, what was that, two weeks ago? Nathaniel Lowe hitting well, Josh Young. So I have really enjoyed what they've been doing, and I think resilience its what they'll need moving forward with Jacob DeGrom on the IL. Having those two names on the injured list, if they continue to do this for another month, then the word has to be Bochi for steering that ship and keeping <laughs> them and just keeping well, them in check and in first place. Well, I'll run the word resilient past Boch. Uh, and see what he has awesome. to say. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bruce Bochy is the manager of the Texas Rangers. Boats the first place Rangers, 18 and 11. Uh, I mentioned to you that I was talking to your good friend, Sarah Langs, and I asked her for one word to describe why the Rangers are where they are. And, and she said, it's got to be resilient because, you know, you lose a Corey Seager, you had Jacob DeGrom having some injury issues early on. Uh, she thinks that's a word that fits your team. What do you think? I think that's a great word to uh, fit this club. Uh, you know, we lost we lost Mitch Garber, too, who was going to assume a lot of the DH uh, role along with catching a couple times a week and, uh, you know, with those injuries. But um, also, uh, you know, some tough games that we've lost. Uh, we had a tough series in Cincinnati. We let a couple uh, get away from us, but uh, – they came back and played very well against New York. And, you know, Buster, during a, you know, course of 162 games, yeah, you, you're going to deal with those ups and downs, those those valleys, as they say. But, uh, you know, you know it's going to happen and what's important is how you handle it. And uh, these guys have just, just done a terrific job. So we had Marcus Simeon on the podcast recently, and, and I, I knew the answer to this question when I asked him, which was, so tell me about your home run celebration for your team. And the reason why I knew the answer was just being around you guys for a couple days. Like you guys have such an understated group. And he was like, nah, we don't, we don't really have anything yet. And I don't know if that's changed at all, but it really jumped out of me when I was around you and your players. Like there's a very business like attitude among your group. Yeah. I love it. Uh, you're right. You know, there's the, you know, they may come up, come up with something and I, you know what, I would be fine with that. I, I really would be, but, uh, I, you know, they're, you know, they're pros and, uh, that like they've been there, done that, uh, uh, very professional, how they go about their, uh, work, but, uh, they have fun too. Trust me. Uh, it's a good group, a fun group. Uh, uh, but you know, they're not one to over celebrate or, 
or get too high on, on some of these wins. And, uh, and I think that works, you know, having kind of that even kill, uh, but you have to enjoy uh, the wins, which we do, but, uh, you know, in a subtle way, I guess. And uh, so I, I kind of like it, to be honest. Where does that come from? Uh, who's at the core of that in your eyes and watching your players? Wow. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. I'd say Marcus, uh, you know, Marcus, uh, very, uh, very businesslike, pro-like, uh, but, uh, you know, enjoys playing. But, you know, he just has a – he starts with his work ethic. It's every day he has his routine. But uh, – and I think Corey, too, uh, Seeger. I think our, our core guys at the middle, both of them uh, play a role in this. You know, they they just go about their business uh, uh, in, a, in such a uh, – uh, a professional way that uh, I think it just rubs off on everybody. Now we, we do have, uh, uh, you know, our other guys have, have sometimes play with the hair on fire a little bit. Uh, uh, Garcia, I'd say a little, a little bit Duran, those guys, and it's a good blend. And uh, I've had that before on clubs and, uh, but I think it's a good mix with veterans, young guys, and, uh, and they feed off each other very well. All right, so tell me where you stand now with Seeger and where he's going and what your expectation is with DeGrom. Yeah, well, Corey, uh, in fact, I just walked in from uh, watching him take ground balls at short. So uh, he's really coming around. Uh, he's made a lot of progress in the last four or five days. Uh, after this weekend, we'll re-evaluate uh, him. I think uh, we're looking at seven to ten days in that area before uh, – you know, we, uh, you know, start some games, uh, probably some rehab. Uh, I know he's not big on that right now. Uh, you know, I would have a little concern with that, to be honest. But I will say, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that's always working on his hitting. So he's been doing that for a couple of weeks. So uh, I probably can answer uh, the question better after this weekend series with Anaheim or with the Angels. Uh, with Jacob, uh uh, hasn't started throwing yet, but uh, he feels great. He says he re- he's really not feeling anything. We said when it got to that point, you know, we'll we'll get back to playing catch. So uh, that's going to happen real soon. And uh, so now I'd say we're in that probably three-week area, and we're almost a week uh, into that now. So the big story in baseball in 2023 are all these new rule changes. And I was saying that as I got was getting ready to talk to you, I was thinking about – you, how you were at the forefront, I think, of one of the major rule changes that we saw, you know, more than a decade ago, which was the catcher collision rules. Uh, you were very outspoken how you, you know, you as a former catcher felt like uh, that this was something that was important moving forward. And I remember how much criticism you took at that time. Like people were not happy with you, not only what your suggestion, putting in the rules against catcher collisions, but the fact that you were so outspoken about it. What do you remember about that? Yeah. Um, well, you know what, it's, it's, it's what I really believed. Uh, I, I thought it was the dumbest role, uh, in sports. I, I really do. Uh, you know, the catcher is so vulnerable and, uh, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to contact and things like that, but this, this was something that, uh, uh, really, uh, made me nervous and scared for some of these catchers. I, I saw catchers, uh, uh, really in their careers, uh, guys in the minor leagues, uh, you know, and, you know, Buster got all the attention, which Buster didn't like. But, uh, you know, the fact that uh, we almost lost, you know, one of the 
best catchers ever in the game on a collision when he was in front of home plate. He wasn't even blocking home plate. Uh, you just you just didn't have that protection. And uh, I still remember Herm Edwards, the football coach. He was talking about it, and, and I had not uh, met him or talked to him about it. He goes, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. This would be like a guy in football not allowed to make a fair catch, you know, and we have uh, equipment to protect us from getting hurt. And the catcher, he really didn't have that kind of gear. So it should have been done a lot earlier. Uh, and you know what, Buster? It actually got me to the major leagues. In 1978, we had a young guy, Reggie Baldwin. Dave Parker ran over pretty much into his career. And, you know, they had to call up another catcher. They called me up. So, um, and I had my collisions and hey, I get it. It was part of the game, but it did not make sense to me. And I, I was adamant that, uh, you know, we need to do something about this. E- either that or change the rules and, and, and let us hit the first baseman, the second baseman, the third baseman. Let's just make it a real fun game. Right. Well, what I remember, too, talking with you at that time, because uh, you're right. I mean, it's always referred to as the Buster Posey rule. But your level of concern had been raised long before that. I remember you telling me about a catcher you had in San Diego, I think it's Gary Bennett. Right. Uh, and what you saw in him, you just thought at that time, like, oh, my God, someone's going to get killed here if we don't change this. I'm guessing the way that it's played out, you couldn't it probably has pleased you because the number of catchers who get hurt on collisions now has disappeared. Right. Right. And I don't think anybody misses that part of the game. I don't, I, I haven't heard any complaints. Hey, I, you know, I, I miss that, uh, home plate collision and, uh, and you can still have them. If the catcher gets the ball, gets in front of home plate, you can still hit them, but at least, at that time, he's got a chance to protect himself. But the one you're talking about, Gary Bennett, uh, Brian Jordan, who played football, and it, it was not a dirty play or anything, but here, and as fast as he is, as big as he is, he hit Bennett. I, I really thought, you know, this guy's really, really hurt. And he was. He had to go in the DL. But I said, we're going to snap a neck. We're going to have a guy we can carry off, and he's going to be put in a wheelchair. And, uh, and like I said, I've known – I knew some minor league catchers that really ended their careers, uh, you know, getting busted up at home plate. Uh, and it just – it did not make sense. But uh, I, I'm glad the rules been changed, and uh, it's for the better. So what do you think of the new rule changes and their impact? I love them. I, I, I really do. The uh, the pace of game is so much better. It's kind of what what it was like when I first came up. It, it really was, you know, back in 1978. You know, those games are about two and a half hours. Uh, uh, I think it's worked out very well. I think it's going to work out uh, for the players, the fans. And, and, what, and what I mean by that is uh, it's so much easier to play these guys more because they're, they're not out there as long. Uh, the games are crisper. Uh, I've already taken Jonah Heim back. Uh, now, today I'm DHing him day game after night game. I think twice already I've caught him a day game after a night game because it's a two-hour game. They're catching on the knee, and uh, he says, I have no problem. So I think you're going to see uh, – uh, less injuries. I, I think you're going to see your guys out there more, which the fans want to see your core players. You don't have to arrest them as much. Uh, um, the other things, uh, you know, the bases that, you know, I haven't really noticed a big difference, although the numbers say, you know, you know, guys are running more and all that, but you know, the slice step can still mitigate that. Uh, uh, but, uh, the no shifting, you're getting to see Marcus Simeon, 
uh, Simeon make these plays across the bag like I, I haven't seen in a long time. It's fun. It, I really enjoy his athleticism, and that's that's why this uh, this was uh, changed so we we could see this from these players again, and we're seeing it, and I think the fans are enjoying it because you know what, Buster, we can't forget we are in the entertainment business, and now I think these these fans are enjoying this brand of baseball a lot more. All right, you've got three championship rings from your days with the San Francisco Giants in part because of the work of Madison Bumgarner, who, as you know, is a free agent. I've said in the podcast, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, if he wouldn't want to pitch for you again. When I was in San Francisco last week, Giants people were wondering if he would go back there at some point. I know you don't want to get into, you know, his next spot, but I'm curious about your best Bumgarner story that you like to tell friends. Because I think, you know, this is a player about whom everybody's got stories. What's a favorite story you like to tell friends about? Oh, about man, I, I've told this a few times, so it's, uh, people have probably heard this, but, uh, you know, it, it it was the the moment, too, that uh, I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, when, when this happened. But I remember I had some uh, some uh, media. They, they were – it was a post-game uh, deal. They came in my office. I think Rick, uh, Rick Sutcliffe was in there, and, uh, and Bumgarner – was standing at the door. He wanted to talk to me. So I had to have, you know, the whole group leave and Madison comes in and just straight faces he can be. Now the preface is he just threw a complete game, about 118 pitches. And he looks at me, he says, you know, if you want to win this, you'll start me the next game. <laughs> I mean, just serious as could be. I said, bum, I'm not starting you the next game. And cause we had a day off the next day. We had to go to Kansas city. He goes, right, I'll, I'll pitch one after that. I said, I'm not starting you on that one either. I said, you know, if you feel good, then uh, we'll use you in a pen. He says, who's starting that one? I said, um, you know, Hudson, you know, and Tim was a real close friend. He goes, I right, let Huddy start, but I'll be there, pick him up, and uh, put me in if you want to win this. He kept saying that. So here he is, a young, you know, he was pretty young at the time, but uh, he wanted the ball, and as you know, I don't know if there's a better postseason performance and what he gave us there. His picture should be on that 2014 ring. 52 and a third innings, Boach, in that postseason. Can you – I mean, that feels like you might as well be talking about, like, the dead ball era, the idea that any any starting pitcher would throw 52 and a third innings. And I don't know if that's necessarily something we would even get back to. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Uh, because, you know, you look at guys who uh, who had tremendous postseason performances, uh, Gibson, Lolich, I mean, what he did with the Tigers. But, I mean, he had to go – he had to pitch a wild card game in a division series, championship series, and seven games, come out of the pen, go five innings. Uh, he really should have had to win in that game when you think about it. Uh, but uh, they were nice and gave it that felt, who, you know, did a great job of being the bridge to get to him. But I, I don't think we'll we'll see this again. I, I, I really don't uh, on, on what he did. And uh, uh, to have that many innings and not just innings, but look at the numbers, uh, just incredible. Uh, you know, it just shows you what a you – know, when, when you have a great athlete or a pitcher like this, you know, how good they are under pressure because – Part of our game is, you know, you got to have the talent, but it's performing under pressure, too, and, and nobody was better than Bum. All right, Boach. Thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. You too, Buster. I enjoy seeing you and talking with you, and I'll see you down the road. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. 
So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Xavier Scruggs is an ESPN analyst, and he's among the hosts of the MLB Network show Off Base. X, how you doing? I'm doing good, Buster. I'm all, all ready to talk baseball with you, baby. Let's do it. All right, so we'll start with this. Uh, you, you know, obviously, based on your experience playing baseball, you've heard a lot of players through the years. I'm sure managers, coaches would go, ah, it's still early. It's still early. You know, it's uh, don't don't worry. We got we got time to figure this out. When does it stop being early for you? Uh, right, I think- and I ask that question <laughs> now that we're in the first week of May. Yeah, I, I think right around now, like once May starts, just because I guess from a player's perspective, it's like you don't want to get yourself too much in a hole um, individually because then you start to realize, OK, I'm affecting the team in a totally negative way. And it's already been an extended amount of time. Right. You think about spring training, you think about the first month of the season, that's two months of the season. If you don't have timing, if you don't have, you know, your pitch selection, if you don't have plate discipline, all that stuff from a hitter. I'm thinking from a hitter standpoint, the same thing from a pitcher and defense, like it's time to start thinking about what you need to do to make changes. Yeah. I thought about that yesterday in part because you seen the white Sox shake up the roster. Yeah. Like they made a rash of changes you can tell like in the front office coaching staff, they're probably like, okay, we, we got to shake this up uh, because it's, it's getting laid out there early. All right. Uh, so I, as I told you before we got started, I was a huge fan of the Minnesota Vikings. They were coached for a long time by Dennis Green, who's most famous for something he said while coaching the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Give a listen. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. All right, and I'm just using this as a vehicle to get into to talking about different teams, to talking about different players. The St. Louis Cardinals, X, we wake up today, they're ten and twenty. You know, yeah. are they are they who we thought they were? Are they something different? Because I thought they were as, as big a favorite to win their division as any team in baseball when we started spring training. 
Yeah, I'm not going to panic on the Cardinals yet. Uh, And being a former Cardinal, this hurts. Like, it really hurts seeing them start this way just because the expectations were extremely high. You talk about two MVP candidates, one that won the MVP um, in the same lineup, and then adding Wilson Contreras as well. Like, these things just don't add up at the moment. But I think... I think they are who they are right now. Honestly, I don't think they're as bad as they are right now, but I don't know if this team is going to be able to find a way to get back to the top of the division because I haven't seen the pitching staff do much at all. And I'm talking about give me some length through the game. Give me five, six innings, please, before before the other team starts hurting us. Like yesterday, I th- specifically, I'm thinking about the first game in the series against the Angels, four runs in the first inning off Steven Matt. So there has to be some type of length in this in the pitching in the starting rotation um we've seen arenado hasn't gotten off to a great start as well uh the outfielder we don't know what's going on in the outfield who's gonna step up and perform and because nobody has stepped up they send jordan walker back to triple a like it just don't make sense the preparation for this point of the season doesn't seem like it was there from a cardinal standpoint they're not playing defense so I can't say that they are a lot better than what they are right now. I just don't think they are who we thought they were. So at the beginning of spring training, when when uh, we, we had the Cardinals on an exhibition game, uh, just being around that team, I thought, this is a great situation for Ali Marmol. Like mm-hmm. he and day in and day out basis, he can say, you know what, guys, I'm going to ride the hot hand. We got a ton of competition. We got a ton of young guys. If you want to play, then you got to perform. Uh, and as it turns out, it feels like that that's almost become an issue. Like it's yeah. become a problem where they're moving guys in, moving guys out. And I completely agree with you about Jordan Walker. Like when he was sent down last week, it made me shake my head because my thought was, look, uh, and this through spring training, if you're going to start the year with this guy on the major league roster, you got to be prepared to ride it out for at least half the year. If you believe in his potential, great but you kind of got to ride with him as he goes through inevitably through some of the slides. And instead, boom, after a month, they sent him back down the minor leagues. And I've been around teams. You've been around teams where I've always felt like the guys who wind up paying the price for a bad start are the young players because they can move because they're not making any money because they're getting minor league options. They're not moving any of the veterans. And so it's almost like, okay, we got a problem. The guy batting eighth in the lineup, we're sending him to the minor leagues. (laughs) And the one thing, too, I don't like is because Walker's 20 years old and the development had already started at the big league level. He was starting to learn what pitchers are trying to do. And now they're talking about swing changes and all that. And, And I think that's more of an excuse, right, to allow these outfielders to figure out what they have. And, and another thing I'm disappointed is this team didn't go out and get a veteran outfielder. They didn't do anything in the offseason to help supplement in case something like this happens. Now, the one thing that's good but also bad is Nolan Gorman is, is swinging the bat good off Offensively, so you're starting to figure out what he looks like as far as a as far as a figure in this lineup. But then that takes away from a DH spot from one of the outfielders as well. So it's almost like to me the Cardinals, who are so prepared for all aspects of the game and so good at, at identifying what roles in this game, they don't have that a lot for this team. And another thing too, I'll tell you. Uh, not having Pujols, not having Yadier Molina. Wayno's been gone all season too until he returns on the sixth. That you're talking about not having the clubhouse figure that you're used to having for a long extended amount of time in this Cardinals organization. I think that also has something to do with how the expectations have not lived up to what we've expected. 
All right, I'm going to make you head of baseball ops for the Cardinals now. You've seen all these young players they have. How would you prioritize it? What would the message be like, okay, this guy's going to play, this guy's going to play, because I'm trying to make sense of, like, I go in, guy comes out, guy goes in, guys go out, as opposed to, look, Tommy Emden is our shortstop. Yeah. Paul DeYoung is not our shortstop. Or make a decision. That's the way it feels sometimes. What would you yeah. do in each of these spots where they seem to be just rotating a bunch of guys? Edmund was so good last year. I, I have to have Edmund playing. Obviously, he was, it hasn't been off to the great start, but this is a player that impacts the game in so many different ways. I've got to have him playing every day. Um, from an outfield standpoint, I got to look at Tyler O'Neill. I still got to give him the opportunity because he showed me he was once a top player in all of Major League Baseball back in 2021. I got to see if there's still that there. Um, for, for me, also have to have Lars Newtbar in there because of what we've seen recently last year toward the end of last year and even in the WBC. And yep. then and then Walker ultimately has to uh, has to be in there as well because he, he's my young stud. Like things might get built around Walker here in the future. So I feel like he's got to be there. Now, Dylan Carlson is the one I feel like is the one that probably should have been the, the one that sent down. He's 20, 23 years old. He's one still young. I think he still has an opportunity, but we've seen over an extended amount of time, he has not done much at all. So I think he's the one ultimately that would have to take the seat out. And I know that's disappointing because he's got a lot of potential too. Uh, and you mentioned Adam Wainwright coming back. It feels like the timing of this is perfect for this team. Like they need him back, even though, he might not necessarily be the ace who's going to come in and strike out 15 guys and, you know, throw out eight innings every time. But it feels like they need just a stabilization. Somebody just coming in and, and, and settling things down. They do. They need someone that's been there, done that for a long period of time. Um, I think you're starting to see these guys kind of feel that pressure a little bit. Nolan Arenado talked about that a little bit yesterday. He said he's, you know, not necessarily panicking, but he knows that he's one of the guys that should be performing and that weighs on you. And I think Wayno's one of those guys that can help alleviate some of those issues in the, in the clubhouse, kind of calm everybody out. Hey, let's get back to playing Cardinal baseball, doing the little things the right way and, and definitely be that type of guy. But also they need someone to give them some innings too. Like there's, there needs to be another guy in the rotation that can give them five innings at least because you're not getting quality starts right now. So hopefully Wayno can bring that to the table as well. All right. Let's uh, apply Dennis Green's uh, thought to the American League East and run through those teams. I, I don't think Tampa Bay Rays are coming back. Like this is the best Tampa Bay offense that I've ever seen. They always find pitching. It's a team that other people are going to have to catch. I don't see them coming back to the pack. What about you? Yeah, I don't see it either. Um, and the one reason being is this team has gone from 26th in home runs to now being the team at the top. Like the power is real at this point. We have to expect this team to continue hitting home runs at a high clip. And I think what you've seen is the development of some of the younger players who have now found their swings in this lineup. I look at Harold Ramirez being a guy that, okay, the power is starting to become for real. They had said he had had power, but, but he had never got, they had never gotten him out of it. Now starting to get those consistent bats. You see the power. Yandy Diaz's adjustment over the offseason as well. You add Brandon Lau's 39 home runs from 2021 back in this lineup too. Um, I, I think the power is for real with this team. And I think that's the one aspect 
that we've been saying that they've been missing, right? We've been waiting to see, okay, who's the one power guy that they might be able to get free agency wise. They had, they had the rumor of a Freddie Freeman a while ago, but now I think you starting to see it more into this lineup. That helps. The pitching staff is unbelievable. Shane McClanahan at the top. You add a Zach Eflin to that Rasmussen quietly, one of the better starters as well. And then the bullpen is unreal. When you talk about Fairbanks and Jason Adam, there in the back, um, this team is for real, and and we yes, we have to take into consideration who they've played, but at the same time, you look at who they've beat up on, like great teams beat up on bad teams, and that's what they've been doing. Now they'll be tested a little bit more, and I'm interested to see how they respond, but this team, we have to take them for real. How about Taylor Schwenk's Baltimore Orioles and how they're looking <laughs> right now? Hey, Taylor, I think you're in good hands, my man, because this team is special. Um, it, it, it's more of like a grittiness to this team that that is exciting to watch. And they don't give up at bats. And I think that's one of the things that sometimes we can't quantify, but it helps each player in the lineup. And then when I look at the back end of this bullpen, and I see Batista, but then I see Yanir Cano. Like he, he's basically a closer himself too. When they don't have Batista available, dude doesn't even give up hits, doesn't even get up walks. Like what's going on right now? This team is special. And you add Adley Rushman on top of that, as far as from an offensive standpoint, but also a defensive standpoint, one of the best catchers, maybe becoming the best catcher in our game. There, there's something real about this team. Now, the division is tough. We understand that. Um, but I think what you see is a foundation of winning and an expectation of winning now early on in the season. And they got a taste of some of that last year. So I, I don't see why not they continue to build off of that, especially with Brandon Hyde at the helm. He's doing a great job with these young players. So a few years ago when Cedric Mullins was starting to emerge uh, in the big leagues, I reached out to Buck Showalter, who knew him from his, you know, his last days with the Orioles, his last years with the Orioles. And Cedric was just coming up and he talked about how serious a worker he is. And when like, he's someone who asks a lot of questions and applies what he what he hears. And you mentioned not giving away plate appearances. Uh, that's something you can see like every game he's battling and Adley Rutschman, you know, Jim Palmer, uh, the hall of fame pitcher. I talked to him in the off season about him. He goes, he doesn't give up any pitches. Like yeah. he talks about on offense and on defense. And he talked about the level of investment that Adley has offensively and defensively is special. And I think that's at the heart of what you're talking about. Like this yeah, team competes pitch mm -hmm. to pitch as well as anybody in baseball. You know, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. You, you start to see it feed off into guys like Mountcastle, Hayes, um, Jorge Mateo, like these guys. And another thing I, t I love, too, is you talk about Cedric Mullins and, and I think about Mateo. This, this team does a great job of putting pressure on the defense. And I yeah. think we can see specifically with the legs what these guys are able to do, not just from a stolen base standpoint, because we know that's amazing, but going first to third going first to home, being able to take chances. I love that from this Orioles team. And a lot of times it has uh, opposing defenses on their heels. So if the Yankees are in the American League Central, I think we could still say uh, it's early, but they're not. Then they're in the best division in baseball. They're 17 and 16. Carlos Rodon, we found out yesterday, we don't know when he's going to pitch again. He's having this back issue. Uh, Aaron Judge is out. Giancarlo Stanton is out. It's an older roster. X, I think they're in trouble. Oh, man. It's hard for me to, to, to panic just because 
we saw this team last year be one of the best team, maybe the best team for three fourths of the season last year. And and talking about one of the better offenses and, and had some good starting pitching and, and, and a good bullpen. So I can see them going on better stretches, but when you mentioned the injuries, like, and what it does when judge and Stanton are out at the same time. And now we've seen a lineup that almost hasn't really competed at all over the past couple of weeks. I am concerned. And another thing too, is we expected this rotation to be dominant with the one, two punch of Cole and Rodon. We haven't seen that yet. We don't know when Rodon is coming back. Um, that's disappointing. And then also look at the back end of the bullpen too. When, when we can't close out games, that, that is tough. So there's a lot of aspects of this team in which you're not seeing the, the best part of it clicking, whether it be offense, whether it be pitching, starting pitching, relief pitching, we, we're just not seeing it. And they're rolling out a, a now a lineup that looks more like a triple A lineup. And it's tough for them to compete at a high level against a lot of these teams. And you talked about the East, man, it doesn't get any easier. No. And Here's the thing, and I, you know, we talked about this in the podcast yesterday. We always assume at the trade deadline, you typically know who's going to be aggressive, right? The Dodgers will go and get somebody. We know in recent years, the Padres are a team. They're going to be all in. We know the Mets with Steve Cohen. They're going to be all in. The Yankees typically will go and get guys. But what I'm hearing from executives around baseball is the trade market this year is going to be trash mm. because uh, they feel like they're just not that many uh, difference-making players available is one executive said to me, who on the Oakland Athletics roster are, do you feel like you're going to go and get that is actually going to help you out? And he ran through, this executive ran through every uh, of the non-contenders, teams we assume are going to be sellers. There's not a lot out there, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> and so if you're the Yankees and you're thinking you can, as you have in the past, go get two or three guys can make a difference. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be there. Before you go, talk to me about the Red Sox, who I think are, you know, they're playing better than what we thought. Their offense is better than what we thought. Verdugo looks terrific. And by the way, tonight we're going to have Verdugo against Manoa. All Some trash talking between those two guys. That's going to be fun. Uh, Yoshida has made this adjustment at the plate. He's uh, probably a better hitter than what people expected, hitting for more power. They're fun to watch, I, I believe. Oh, man. Honestly, uh, Alex Cora, I, I feel like underrated yep. as a manager. Like he, yep. he ultimately gets the most out of his players. And, and when we expect this team to not be good or to maybe struggle, like they seem to rise to the occasion. And I think a lot of credit goes to him. Um, Yoshida has made the adjustment in which uh, you can tell how much of an impact he has in this lineup. Verdugo, uh, Cora challenged Verdugo to come back in better shape this year, be more focused and have a better approach and, and have a better routine on a day-to-day basis. We've seen that already. Three walk-off hits for Verdugo, um, leading Major League Baseball, doing a great job of having a focused approach. I love that. But also, I think what I saw last time from Chris Sale, I think you're starting to see, obviously, the velocity is there. You're starting to see maybe more of the sharpness back from the slider. I think that's going to be an important piece. I don't count this team out. And I think a lot of us did early on uh, during spring training or during the offseason because we expected to see them maybe make some more more moves that that made a lot more sense. But I think Alex Cord does such a great job of working with what he has. Jaron Duran has now come back this year and taken leaps and bounds better than what we've seen last year. So you just hope to continue to see that from this team because it makes the division all that much tougher. 
I mentioned the Manoa versus Verdugo uh, plate appearances. I can't wait because, you know, just having got a sense, I remember talking to Verdugo once and he mentioned to me how much he loved playing the Yankee Stadium because he loved the trash talk. He loved the back and <laughs> forth with the fans. And, yeah. and Manoa seems to be, you know, the similar, that similar type of personality. And I don't think there's any malice beneath it for either guy. I just think that's how they compete. Yeah, I love that because a lot of times we, we don't see that so much in the game anymore, right? You you love the com- competition. You love the ability to show, hey, I, I'm better than you, mano e mano. Love the trash talk because uh, sometimes today it gets a little buddy-buddy, right? We're, we're chatting with the guys before the game. We're hugging on them and all that. No, let's get after it. Let's see what they got. Let You versus me, let's go. I love it. Yeah, I love watching those old videos where all the players from the 80s are talking about the trash talker that Larry Bird was. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Larry Bird and Dominique Wilkins going at it. That's the way it's going to feel. And they all yes. laugh. And they right. talk about, you know what, he backed it up. And so uh, it'll be fun watch tonight. All right, sir. Good to talk to you. I appreciate you, Buster. Jessica Mendoza is a baseball analyst for ESPN and for Los Angeles Dodgers uh, broadcast. Jess, how you doing? Doing awesome, Buster. Really good. Uh, all right, so you're on a time time limit here because you're you're a mom and you have a practice to get to. So let's hit it right away. Big story this week in baseball: Bryce Harper's returning from Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know he's setting a record for the quickest return for a position player: 160 days from the time of his surgery to the time he gets back in the Phillies lineup. But you're not surprised based on the progression of this type of surgery. No, my sister had Tommy John surgery as a position player um, back in college. She actually did it against our team, Stanford, when she she got hurt. And I remember thinking and doing a ton of research because when it's a family member, you're kind of like, you know, it's it's always interesting when it's a non-pitcher, obviously softball too, very different. Um, But I was so shocked at how long it took them to clear her, even though it was well over a year after the surgery. She was as strong as she had ever been. Um, And... I remember thinking this was, you know, almost 20 years ago, just how the blueprint, this is what the doctors were telling her is that they go off of, this was then the Tommy John surgeries for baseball pitchers that basically, because that was the most common form of surgery, even though up to that point, there had been some position players, but the blueprint was really going off of what pitchers had to do. And I'm sitting there going, okay, first of all, not only is she not a pitcher, she's a different sport. She's not going to throw overhand that capacity. She was an infielder. Um, she heard it diving into a third baseman, trying to go into third as a base runner. So it was a, a definitely a, a weird position to to be in, to, to tear it in the first place. So it wasn't like she did it throwing or anything like that. But uh, I remember with Harper and just knowing, I mean, like we do, I mean, he is 150% of his day is baseball. Like he lives for this game. And I just knew that if anyone was going to recreate and be kind of the guinea pig of the position player that was going to be well beyond anyone else, it would be him. So I wasn't surprised, especially like in spring training, remember how we knew he was only going to be on the 10 day DL and everyone kind of was like, okay, this isn't going to be all-star break knowing Harper, but the fact that he's back is, is not a surprise to me. And I'm hoping that it'll be successful. So more position players that have Tommy John don't have that to me, antiquated blueprint of waiting like a pitcher. It's funny. You mentioned that Scott Boris, that's exactly what he texted me when I asked him, why was it that Bryce came all the way back? And he talked about his passion for baseball, but then he talked about not needing the fact that he doesn't throw overhand, you know, uh, you're not swinging overhand as a position player 
uh, he felt like that he'd be able to come back. I also wanted to ask you for for this interpretation. When I talked to Carl Crawford, who had Tommy John surgery, uh, came back after 221 days, he was a left-handed hitter like Bryce is, uh, but uh, Carl Crawford threw left-handed. Bryce was right-handed. My instinct is, you know, my person who has no knowledge about Tommy John surgery other than what I'm told is that a, a left-handed hitter who finishes with his right arm that you might be vulnerable to the torque of a finish where you miss a swing or you foul a ball off and your arm's extended, especially someone who swings as violently as Bryce. But I know you don't think that's necessarily going to be a factor. And obviously, Dr. Neil Elitras, who did the surgery, doesn't because he cleared him. Well, I think there's a difference of torque, which will definitely be there. And it'll be there to your, to your point. I mean, Bryce Harper has one of those very max effort type swings. The, I think the biggest thing for people to understand that it's it's what would cause a tear. So it has to be like a either for a position player, kind of a freak thing that happens, like getting yourself into just a really vulnerable position that you wouldn't normally be in. Um, because Bryce Harper's swing time and time again, you almost have to think of this is he's got a brand new ligament. He's got what he had before. And so it basically is not putting him in a position to where he could tear it again. And with his swing, I don't care how violent it is. It's not the position that creates the vulnerability to that specific ligament. Doesn't mean that he won't use that ligament or that it won't, you know, you know, be something that he'll use in that deceleration process, but he'd have to do something freakish for that to be the thing to re-tear the ligament. All right. You get a chance recently to talk to Kevin Long, the hitting coach for the Phillies about Brandon Marsh, who, uh, look, he's part of the reason why the Phillies just seem to me like a team is ready to take off because they're kitty core. Uh, you know, Brandon Marsh, Bryson Stott, Alec Bohm have gotten off to great starts. They really haven't gotten that much out of Trey Turner. They really haven't gotten that much out of Kyle Schwarber. Bryce Harper is just rejoining the team, and yet they, you know, going into that game on, on Tuesday night, they'd won seven out of ten games. What's Marsh done because I know people around baseball were surprised he's become such a productive hitter. Gosh, it's so cool to dive into it, Buster. I mean, looking just at him with the Angels. So that's, you know, less than a year ago before he came over to the Phillies at the end of last year. And you spoke to Kevin Long. Like, I've become close with him just because I'm obsessed with hitting. I love, you know, talking shop with him. But I remember talking to him in the postseason last year about his stance and how he really widened it out, got low into it. Buster, you know, you see mechanical adjustments happen all the time with hitters, but never really something that extreme. It's always like a little hand placement. You might see maybe open versus close clothes, something usually very subtle. You don't see something so extreme. And what Kevin Long noticed with Branton Marsh was the two things. First of all, the fact that he was really upright. And because of that, he had to do a double toe tap or a double stride. So he would stride once and then stride again. And in that second stride, maximum head movement. So he's going from a tall position down to where he needed to be to hit. And his timing was always off. So he really tried to get him low in his stance. That's not something for everyone. It was something to maximize what Brandon Marsh is really good at, and that's leg drive, to really get him to start in his legs. So now he's a very minimal stride, something very simple, not a lot of head movement. And where you see the numbers buster is the four-seam fastball. That's a pitch like he hit barely over 200 on the last two seasons, and that's going through last season. And now, I mean, he has over 1,000 OPS. I know, still small, we're a month in. But it's definitely a huge, dramatic change, and, and the Phillies are loving it. He's, I think a lot of people don't realize he's leading that team in almost every offensive category. Yeah, he's one of the major league leaders in war. Like, that's how good he's been. And, you yeah. know, uh, it's interesting. I talked to Dave Dombrowski, the head of baseball ops, the other day, 
and asked him to walk me back through that trade. And he said that he sent Kevin Long uh, or called the, you know, that the Phillies sent him video of Marsh hitting and asked him, do you think he's going to hit? Can you fix this? And Kevin Long was like, oh, yeah. And they certainly have done that. Three minutes, three quick topics for you. Mookie Betts playing shortstop. We're going to see it on Sunday Night Baseball this week, or see Mookie anyway. We'll see if he actually plays shortstop. What do you think? I mean, I love it for the temporary, right? I mean, it's unbelievable the versatility of this player. And I know we'd see it with a lot of players now that can play a multitude of positions, but the way that he does it, so like the transition and the fact that he hasn't played there in Major League Baseball, he just comes in. You talk about top three critical positions in all of baseball. Shortstop is one of them. And, you know, to put him there, I think my concern is is this can't be the rest of the season where he's going from shortstop, sometimes second base, sometimes right field. He has enough on his plate, I feel like, mentally of what he puts himself through as a hitter that I do feel like, and we've seen this so much, simplify it defensively. And he puts a lot of pressure on himself defensively. It's his natural he has such a natural ability to be able to field and do things. But if he makes a couple errors that you're going to see that affect his offense, don't do that with Mookie Betts. I love it now because they need it. Obviously Gavin Lux is down. Chris Taylor has been struggling. He's getting a little bit hotter lately, but I do think when we look at trades for the Dodgers at the deadline, I would not be surprised if they go get a shortstop because for Mookie Betts to have to continue to fill this void, I don't think is a long-term solution. And there'll be a lot of speculation about Tim Anderson becoming available now. The White Sox off to a terrible start. What's it like for you to watch Corbin Carroll run? Oh, my gosh. I, it, he is literally the most exciting player in baseball to me. And that's, I know, saying something. And it's not just because of the speed. The speed is, is so fun. And by the way, it's so fun to see in baseball. Everyone's stealing bases. I mean, it's just an exciting part of the game, regardless if you have speed or not, right? But Corbin Carroll has this athleticism and this like instinct to be able to pick up things, do things, and then he's got the power. He's a small guy, Buster. And one of the biggest things that scouts said early on was the power wasn't going to be there because of his size. And he just proves, just talked about Mookie Betts, like so many of these smaller players that are given opportunity and the fact that they can go on and be one of the best players in the game. And Corbin Carroll is going to be that. He is one of the best players now, but his name is not out there because of the speed, because of the athleticism, and honestly, the power. He can hit some home runs that are, wow, they make your jaw drop. Last one, Julio Rodriguez off to kind of a slow start for the Seattle Mariners. And uh, I, I, it feels like I've watched this movie a hundred times before you get a really accomplished young player and opposing pitchers basically decide we're just not going to throw him strikes because he's swinging the balls out of the zone. 17th highest rate in the big leagues in terms of uh, pitch swinging and pitches out of the zone. I, I, I don't think he's going to see consistent production until he changes that habit. What do you think? It's there. We saw it when he first came up. I, I'm actually more concerned about his low back that he he missed some games with. And I feel like when you're trying to maximize for your team, a team that is struggling, the Mariners, I think, is a surprise team along. You mentioned the White Sox earlier of not having the wins that they should. Julio puts all that on his back, literally. And we've seen now some injuries start to creep up for a guy that's this young. And I know that him not, we've seen that from him early when he's not putting pressure on himself. He has a great eye. He's not one of those young players that chased all the way through the minors. And then it's not a surprise that he's doing it. I think it's a surprise now because he is now the star. When he first came up, he was the prospect. It was exciting, but now everyone's going after him. He is number one target on his back and the team is losing. So what I see from him is trying, he doesn't want to walk. He wants to get the big hit because honestly, there's not a lot of guys right now in that lineup that are consistently providing production on a day in and day out basis. 
plus that low back. I mean, he missed some games. I keep an eye on that because that's a huge concern for me up in the Northwest. All right, Jess. Thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, we have Brad Barber at Brad Barber. He writes, and what is the significance of runners left on base? Seems to figure good offenses and their players have more men on and more and leave more men on. Does having a high left on base mean the player is doing poorly? It can, for sure. Now, look, if it, to, to your point, if you have a player who's in a high-volume offense and say he's hitting fifth or sixth and he's constantly coming to play with runners on base, he's going to have more runners left on base. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, if you're a guy who's not in a good offense and he's not driving in runs, and Jose Abreu, for example, would fit that bill. He's had a lot of opportunities to drive in runs for the Astros. He's not necessarily doing it. And, you know, another way to look at it is uh, what are relief pitchers valued – what's valued in relief pitchers? Um, you know, one of those skills is stranding runners. And so on the flip side of that, if a hitter is not driving in runs in clutch situations, I think that's, uh, you know, that's going to draw attention from front offices. You know, what's drawing my attention, Buster, Cedric Mullins, yeah. his runners in scoring position, uh, the way he's batting with, with guys on base, it's been phenomenal. Another two RBI night, maybe even more than that last night. I love the fact he's having a big year, right? I yeah. thought last year he's kind of you know, had a little bit of a down year after the year before, but this year he's killing it. Oh my God. And he's, he's electric on the bases. I mean, he's, he's everything we thought he would be with these new rule changes. So very, well, get him on the pod. Let's go. We've had him on before. He's, you know, I enjoy talking with him. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, Let's go to Michael Mahone at eater of cheeses. He writes, and isn't it time to ditch the mic'd up players? It makes incredibly difficult, makes the player's job incredibly difficult, hardened by increasing the chance of missing plays or injury due to distraction. The pitch clock affords too little time and a large majority of of us just don't like it. People are mad about uh, the players being mic'd up, Buster. How do you feel about this? I, I, it just makes me laugh. I, you know, please give me the injuries that have been caused by players wearing microphones. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like total urban legend, right? It's right. not actually anything real behind it. Uh, you know, here's the other thing too. It's not like we tackle these guys and say to them, you have to wear the microphone and attach it to them and they have no choice. <laughs> players turn it down all the time. And some players are like, sure, I'll wear it. Al Schwarber we had again on Sunday Night Baseball after we had him during, uh, you know, spring training. He's fine with it. Trey Turner wore it early in the year. On the other hand, we wanted to get Ryan Presley mic'd up while he was working on the bullpen the other day. He said, no, I'm not comfortable with that. You know what we did? Okay. Okay, We just moved on to somebody else. (laughs) Like the players, the idea that they're being distracted. Give me a break. Martin Maldonado, when he became the first catcher to wear a microphone during the game, that was his idea. Like he went to Eduardo Perez and said, you know what would be really cool is if you did that. Here's the other thing, too. Like, you know, when uh, you, you have anyone who presumes to speak for everybody, a large majority just don't like it. Oh, really? How did you know that? Did you pull every baseball fan and you know exactly what the breakdown is? You break. Good like, buster. It's like, stop. There's no information in back. Maybe you don't like it, and that's okay. Maybe your friend doesn't like it, but that's okay. All I know is if we have a microphone on a player like Mookie Betts in spring training or Freddie Freeman running around the bases, uh, you know, and and it's a fun conversation. Uh, you know, you had Nestor Cortez in the All Star game. 
I like Manoa in the All-Star game. People love that. Yeah. And you get huge hits and they're huge numbers. And the players love doing it. And they know it's part of the future. It drives me crazy when it's like, oh, players get hurt. It doesn't work. It's distracting. No, a lot of players love doing it. Yeah, and it's... It's quantifiable at this point um, in terms of the reaction to it. I mean, you just rattled off a number of instances that were very well received. You know, uh, you can look at look like views on social media. Um, you know, we we get some more anecdotal stuff, but like you know, we see a wide swath of opinion on these things. I'd say they're overwhelmingly positive. Let me give you another one, Bryce Harper. A couple of years ago, yeah, I've t- I told this story in the past. Like he agreed to wear the microphone. He like in the second inning, the Phillies gave up like 10 runs in the second inning. We are like, oh boy, you know, it's a blowout. Bryce isn't going to feel comfortable, but Bryce gets it. It's a long season. It's 162 games. Not only did he wear it in the half inning that we had talked about, guess what? He wore it for the rest of the game. He actually had his earpiece knocked out in the middle of the game, tracking down a ball in the warning track. He went and found the microphone and the, or the earpiece and got back on with the producers. Like, yeah, I'll stay on as long as you want. Players, Get it. They know this is part of the future. And so, you know, it's. I, I think it's up for some fans to catch up with the players. Yeah, totally. I, I think it might have been 2020 uh, during spring training was one of the first times you guys did it or someone did it at ESPN on a broadcast. And it, like the reaction was so overwhelming. Everyone loved it. And, yes. you know, there were, the plans were immediately made to keep doing it. You know, the pandemic happened and all that. But uh, I, I just remember coming on the show, uh, you know, starting around then and that going down. And I was, you know, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, changes were made immediately at the highest levels of the company to, to do more of that. Yeah. A large majority just don't like it. Yep. All right. But, you know, despite <laughs> all the evidence to the contrary that, yeah, a lot of people do like it, including the players who are doing it. <laughs> All right. Last tweet for today. A Ron at Aaron plays Major League Baseball. Aaron writes in Alex Verdugo, Colton Wong, Josh Winkowski, uh, Matsutaka Yoshida, all Heim Bloom acquisitions. They're all off to a terrific start this year. And the Red Sox have a much better vibe this year than last. Can we please put some respect on Bloom's name? All right. Here's the deal. As we speak right now, the Red Sox would be one of the six teams in the playoffs in the American League. They would be the sixth entry. Uh, if they don't make the playoffs, the fan base is going to be upset. That's just a reality. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we talked about Verdugo. We talked about Wong. We've talked about Yoshida. So we've covered the players. Would you agree with me, Taylor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've hit them all. We, we, gave, we gave the Red Sox a lot of respect yesterday and yesterday starting in the Bleacher Tweets with love for Alex Verdugo. So don't stop saying that we're not doing anything for you, Red Sox fans. Yep. All righty. Agree. That, that's it. Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And we'll be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Bruce Bochy, Jess, Xavier, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.